to try to make our way through the rest of uh, this chapter tonight. We'll see how it goes. There's a lot to cover. Uh, we're going to look at verses 10 through 17. And uh, I'll be honest with you, as I studied through this passage, um, it's a tricky passage. It's, it's a tough passage just in what it's talking about, um, but it's also a tough passage because <clears throat> there's a lot of debate on what the references are to, uh, who is being spoken of and alluded to in some places. Um, but I think the, the point of it is kind of the point of everything we've seen so far in Malachi, and it's the faithfulness of God. And some sins uh, were being committed, some sins were being looked over, and in this passage, God is, is calling them out to bring them back to himself. And that's what God does because he loves them. And I think that's what we have to remember uh, when we consider tough passages, because if we don't, um, we can go off in our own mind and have a wrong understanding or a wrong view of God. But that should never be our desire. Our desire should, should be to see the heart of God and why he was writing or working through Malachi in the way that he did. And I pray um, that that would be our heart as we receive the word tonight. And uh, we're going to pray in just a minute. But I want to read the passage. I'm going to read the passage and then pray. I always mess this up. I say the opposite. But we're going to read the passage, then pray. And uh, just as we, as we get started, uh, the title of uh, our time together in this section is Do Right Till the Stars Fall. Do Right Till the Stars Fall. And that's a quote from uh, Bob Jones Sr. And he said that many, many years ago. And, and there's an extended version of the quote. Uh, but that, that basic principle of do right till the stars fall uh, would fix so many things in our lives if we would just listen. If we would just do what the Spirit of, the, of God says and the Word of God says, uh, we would find ourselves in a much better place um, than we find ourselves at times. And that is true for these people as well. If they had just listened to the Word of God, um, they would have saved themselves a lot of heartache and a lot of grief. But let's read the passage and then we'll um, have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on our time together. Starting in verse number 10, reading through verse number 17. It says, have, not, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacle of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord... The God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherefore, or wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he that delighteth in them, or where is 
the God of judgment. Let's pray. God, we ask tonight that as we look to this passage, that you would give us uh, wisdom um, to understand what's being said here and why it's being said. God, oftentimes when we look at passages like this, we're guilty of, of simply looking at the fruit um, that you're addressing in your word. But God, I pray that, that we would look beyond the fruit and we would see the root of that fruit. God, the truth is the hearts of these people had wandered far away from you long before the sins that are mentioned were ever committed. God, they had taken their eyes off of you. They had let their hearts stray after other gods. And God, in your word tonight, we see that you're calling them out for these things, not in an angry, vengeful way, but in a, a gracious way because you long to bring them back. God, I pray as we look at this passage tonight, and certainly as we understand the context of it and the meaning of it as it was being addressed uh, to these people in this day, I, I pray at the same time, God, that that we would have a desire to see uh, where our hearts have gone astray as well. God, I, I pray that, that we would take seriously the commands of your word, that we would seek to walk in a way that would bring glory to your name. God, we thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you for your kindness towards us. And even in your chastening of us, God, your goodness and your kindness are very, very evident. And I pray that we would never neglect to see them. So God, I pray tonight that you would use your word, that it would comfort our hearts, that it would convict our hearts, that we would be stirred tonight uh, as we think upon your faithfulness and your love and your grace towards us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before we get into the, the Bible, the lesson tonight, um, this morning I just want to share, we had a lady trust Christ after service today, and just a, a huge blessing. Um, she, after the service, she wanted to talk, and we went to the office, and she just had a ton of questions. And at the end, um, she just basically said, I'm, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And I said, well, we can do that, right? We, we can make that happen. And so just a huge, um, huge answer to prayer. I, I often wonder, you know, God, when is the next person going to trust Christ? And if it were up to me, it would be every Sunday, right? Every day. And uh, it's as we let God work, God does his work in his way. And he's the one who softens hearts. And he's the one that draws people to himself. And so... I'm just very excited over that today and uh, several other good conversations. Just thankful for where our church is at right now. Um, now into Malachi chapter 2. Um, Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Um, have you ever had somebody that told you what you wanted to hear in life? Uh, regardless of what you did, it, it seemed like you were doing a good job in their eyes. You, you could never upset them. You could never disappoint them. Uh, and then as time went on, you realized that this person that was giving you all this good feedback uh, was in reality an enemy who was in some way setting you up for failure. Um, that's what this proverb is talking about, that the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That they make you feel good about where you're at and what you're doing. But the proverb also says that the wounds of a friend are faithful. So what's, what is Solomon speaking of as he as he writes this proverb, he's saying it's better to have friends who are willing to wound you faithfully than it is to have um, friends who, or perceived friends who are uh, telling you all sorts of good things and leading you down a wrong path. And so as we've been looking in Malachi, uh, we've seen that God is a faithful friend, right? That over and over again so far, he has challenged them in the areas of their life where they needed to be challenged. Uh, as the priests were looking at what the people were doing, as the priests were looking at what each other were doing, uh, they were giving those 
um, those, those friendly, deceitful kisses. They were saying, everything's fine, it's fine, just continue how you want to continue. And all the while, we see in the book of Malachi that God is calling them back. He's, he's wounding them, but it's not to get back at them, it's simply to get them back. And there's a huge difference there, isn't there? Isn't there? That we, we sometimes want to get back at somebody else in a vengeful way, but God was not seeking vengeance on them. Uh, vengeance would come if they did not listen to the word of God. But in this moment, as, as Malachi was prophesying to them, we see that God was, was trying to get them back in the place um, that he wanted them to be. And as I read this passage, that proverb came to my mind, um, and it made me think about the times in my life uh, where God has had to chasten me to get me back to where he wants me to be. And as Hebrews says, sometimes the chastening of the Lord is not pleasant in the moment, but it always yields a fruitful reward. And that's what God was desiring uh, in these people's lives, that, that his chastening of them, that him pointing out the error of their way would bring them back to the place that he wanted them to be. And when we're in the place that God wants us to be, when we're walking in the path that he wants us to be on, um, we find that our lives are, are fruitfully abounding. That doesn't mean that everything goes our way and we get everything we want but it means that we're abounding in, in fruit in the way that God desires for us too. And that's what God desired for them. And so God was calling them back. He was desiring that they would do right once again. Uh, sin is an, is an interesting thing. At first, when we have gone off course, we, we feel it, don't we? We, we know that we've, we've gone astray. We know we've made an error. And we're fighting that battle within to determine what we should do next. But when we stay in sin long enough, Maybe it's just me, but when we stay in sin long enough, oftentimes we're, we're able at that point to fully neglect the working of the Spirit in our hearts and in our minds, and it's easier for us to stay in a place of sin while ignoring what God's Word is saying, and that's where these people had found themselves. Uh, th this wasn't their first time uh, wandering away from God. In fact, um, there were many times in Israel's history, and this was one of the last that we have recorded for us. And yet, even in all of that, God was desiring to get them back. And so again, we see that his faithfulness uh, is what should be highlighted in this book uh, because he's telling them, I'm not done with you. I still want to bring you back. I still want to use you. I still want to work in your life. Uh, this passage is, is, again, dealing with the priest. I decided not to go uh, with my, my title, The Problem in the Priesthood, number four. I figured I'd switch it up a little bit this time. Uh, but this is still dealing with the priest and the issues that they had allowed uh, to reside among them. But again, this is a warning for all of Israel to heed, a warning for all the people to listen to, uh, because the priests, uh, as we have said several times in this study, were kind of the go-between between man and God. And so the sins that were being allowed uh, were being allowed at the, at the um, pleasure of the priests, so to speak. Uh, they weren't coming down on the people like they should have. And so God addresses them, and in addressing them, he also addresses the rest of the people as well. And so in verse number 10, uh, Malachi says this, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? There's a lot right there in verse number 10. And as Malachi begins asking these questions, uh, they're questions that are good for us to consider. Uh, this first few questions that he asks are, are connected. He says, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Uh, the question here was, was, was asked or posed 
to make them think. And I'll be honest, there's debate over what is even being talked about in this section. Is it being said uh, that, that Abraham is being referred to as the father of many nations? Is it simply talking about Adam as um, the, the man whom all the human race came from? Or is it going all the way back to talk to or about God specifically? Um, as I read and read and wrote and deleted and then read again and wrote again, uh, I think I've landed on the conclusion that Malachi is, is going all the way back. He's not just talking about Abraham. He's not just talking about Adam. But he's talking about the God who created all. And this, this is not speaking of a, a nationalistic sense or else he would have been talking about Abraham. It's not even speaking in a spiritual sense at this point. What Malachi is pointing out is that all of humanity is made in the image of God. And where do we see that most clearly? All the way back in the book of Genesis, that we are created in the image of God as image bearers for the purpose of glorifying God. And so for us as believers, it shouldn't matter if a person is a Christian or not. That, that shouldn't determine how we treat a person. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. And that's what I think Malachi, in some sense, is getting at here. Because the treachery that was going on here was between people who were um, spiritual, meaning they were the children of God, as in the Jews or the Israelites. But he's also talking about and speaking of those who they were marrying into or treating treacherously in another sense. And so he starts off this whole idea or this whole thought with calling them to consider this reality that all of humanity is made in the image of God, that we're all tracing our line back not to Abraham, yes, to Adam, but who created Adam? God did. And so it's being brought back all the way to God. And I think that that fits with the tone of these verses. I think it fits with the, t the context of these verses. And this idea of, of um, not being Abraham or not strictly being Adam uh, is alluded to later on, and hopefully we'll get there tonight. And so in, in this first verse, um, God is drawing their hearts to consider, uh, again, what we learn about in the opening pages of the Bible, and that's that we are made in the image of God. Uh, men and women often think more highly of themselves than they ought to think when they forget that they were made from dust, right? That's where we started, in the garden, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Uh, we were talking with Charlotte about this earlier uh, this week, and she was, she was talking about how Mary was the mother of Jesus, and that meant that Mary must be the mother of, of everybody. I'm like, well, let's not go Catholic here, right? We've got to back this thing up a little bit. And so we, we went through the Genesis account again, and, and we talked through the idea that uh, God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and God made Eve from Adam's rib, and she was like, no, that can't be true. So it's, it's hard to grasp, right? It's hard to understand that, that we were made from the dust of the ground. But that's what I, I believe Malachi is getting at here, that we're all made in the image of God, that God is the creator of all, and that we should treat people as such, that they are made in the image of God. And so then we have to ask the question, why is this question being asked? Why, why are we talking about this idea that we have all uh, one father, that, that God is the one who has created us? Why, why is... Uh, this thing even being brought up. Because Malachi tells us that there was a problem within uh, Israel that they were dealing treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers. This idea of dealing treacherously 
uh, is, is a big idea. It's, it's not just that you, you gently sinned against your brother if there was such a thing as a gentle sin, uh, but it was an outright uh, offense against your brother. Something had been done here that was treacherous, that was treasonous almost. And so Malachi's job was to call them out. And he says, we've profaned the covenant of our father. Um, and so as, as Malachi is writing here, he's calling them to understand the error of their way. He's calling them to understand that all men and women were created in the image of God and they needed to be treated in such a way that, that proves that they understood that with justice and mercy and grace and kindness. And as, as Malachi is addressing this, again, he's addressing specifically the priests, but there's a trickle-down effect here because as we've seen already so far, when the priests allowed something, the people didn't question it, Right? When, the, pre, when the, the people were bringing in their animals that they were having to carry because they were lame or the animals that were stolen, uh, what did the people think? The priest said it's fine, so it must be fine. And so as this sin is being committed here that we're going to get into a little later, he starts with the priest and it trickles down to the people for them to understand where they had gone wrong and what they had done. Now, as we're going to see, um, Malachi is, a, is specifically addre- addressing here the idea of divorce and, and marriage in the sense of marrying outside of the Jewish nation and marrying people that came from pagan nations. And that's addressed all throughout the Old Testament. God had told his people many times, you're not allowed to do that. And why? Because God wanted a godly line, so to speak, um, for, for his people to always have a remnant of people that had stayed true to God. And that's going to get addressed in this chapter, but he starts out in kind of a broad sense by calling them out to understand how they have dealt treacherously, how they had abused, how they had mistreated, how they had taken advantage of others for their own sake, for their own benefit, and God says, this is the way, this is not the way that you should live. What was the covenant they profaned? Well, what was the covenant that God gave to his people? It was the Mosaic covenant. It was the law that he gave to Moses on Uh, Mount Sinai, where he addressed how his people were supposed to live. And by this time in Israel's history, um, this law, this Mosaic covenant, had become nothing more um, than a quaint and archaic set of rules that they looked at very casually. And God was saying, that's not how I want you to live. I want you to have reverence towards the things that I have said. And in having reverence towards the things that I have said, you'll find that your life flourishes. Now, in some sense, we live in a different time than they lived back then, right? Aren't you thankful for Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the law, and that that our salvation comes through him alone? We understand that they had faith in the Old Testament as well as they looked forward. Now, we look back, uh, but we still must take the words of God seriously. I want to get into a few verses before we really have time for discussion and um, we've got a lot to cover tonight, so we'll see how much time for discussion we have. But, but that's kind of the, the setting that he was addressing these people because of the sins that they were committing, and the main sin that we're going to see is found in verse 11. He says in verse 11, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Now, if somebody came to you and said, there's a problem in your house, somebody has dealt treacherously with somebody else, and an abomination has been committed. What would you think to yourself? Something serious happened here, right? 
Like that's, that's not just casual language that you use in normal conversation with your friend. And, and God is not using it in a casual way. He's letting them know that something very specific and, and egregious has been done here. And while it's been done against people, as we see in verse 10, because they were dealing treacherously with one another, ultimately, who is all sin against? God. And so Malachi as he was speaking, was relaying this message from God so that they would understand that, yes, their sin against their brothers was great. They had broken the covenant that God had established and set up, but they needed to know that ultimately their abomination was against God himself. It's it's seen in David's Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51, where he says, against thee, thee only have I sinned and committed this, this, this act of wickedness. Who else did David sin against? Well, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the people that he was governing as king of Israel. But ultimately, David sinned against God. And the same is true here. So Malachi says that Judah hath dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And here's what took place. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. Now, let's be honest. In today's world, we we wouldn't think much about that, right? Um, But God was saying this was a big thing that was done. As as he's addressing his people, he wanted them to know that he had a standard for them to live in. And as we get into this, I want to say it at the beginning, and I'm going to say it at the end. The sin of divorce that, that Malachi is dealing with here, it's not Malachi's words, it's God's words. And God's going to say that he hates the putting away. He hates divorce. But who also knows that God hates a whole lot of other things? And who would agree here that God is gracious to us even when we may walk away? And so I I don't want us to get this this idea um, that the idea of divorce is worse than everything else. It's not. Sin is sin. We understand that. God was dealing with his people specifically here in a specific way, uh, and, and we know that God does hate divorce, um, and that God allowed divorce because of the hardness of people's hearts, and I don't know if we'll have time to get into that or not, but we also know that God is very gracious to all men who have found themselves in situations that are very difficult. Um, the reasons that they were getting divorced were not godly reasons. They were getting divorced for convenience sake. They were divorcing the wives of their youth because they saw something better that they wanted. And so they were abandoning what they had committed to to go after something else. We obviously don't have time to get into you know, every circumstance of divorce. And when people ask me about divorce scenarios, my response is it is a case-by-case scenario. It has to be. Um, but ultimately, why was divorce given? Because of the hardness of people's hearts. And so we have, to, we have to approach the text understanding, as God says here, that he, he does not approve of divorce. He gave the allowance of divorce because of the hardness of people's hearts. But in all of that, God is gracious and God is able to even use the negative things that we go to for his glory. And so I wanted to say that at the beginning, you'll probably hear me say it at the end because I never, I, I never want to be misconstrued as saying something that I don't mean or believe. Uh, I want us to be clear on these things. And so the, the issue here was that uh, the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, the people of Judah had profaned the holiness of God. They have left 
what they once loved, and they had gone after daughters of a strange God. Now, what does that infer in the Old Testament, the daughters of a strange God? What's that? Yep, they, they, were, they were people who believed in idols. Basically, what is being said is they were people of another nation. They were people who did not follow God. They were people who did not serve uh, our God as the one true God. And so this idea of profaning the holiness of the Lord and marrying into uh, strange nations was a big deal. And this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 7, 3, where the Bible says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them, thy daughters uh, thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And so God is establishing this all the way back early on in the law, in, in, in uh, the, the Torah, as he's setting up uh, the way that he desires for his people to live. And he says, you shall not marry outside of the nation that I have you in. And so God is using this, this imagery or this picture of, of uh, marrying unbelievers uh, to represent what was going on there, and, and that is, in actuality, what was going on there. And so God is coming down on them because they had walked away from what God had established and they had done what was right in their own eyes. Um, there are many instances in the Old Testament where we could look and find where intermarriage with another nation um, posed problems for the people of God. Um, the, a few that, uh, one commentary I read, David Guzik said, uh, when Israel married women from Moab, we see that they brought the curse of God upon the people of God in Numbers 25. Uh, Solomon married foreign women who took away his heart from God. This man whom God gifted so greatly with wisdom and wealth and ability, the thing that took him away from where God wanted him to be was that he gave himself to women who were not, um, not the, the, the ones that God would have, would have had him to marry. Uh, Ahab married Jezebel, a foreign woman, who, who was given over to pagan gods who led Israel into new depths of the depravity. And then in the New Testament, Paul says that believers and unbelievers should not be joined together um, as, as God has established it and as God had decreed it. And so God is establishing this idea um, that they had wandered away from what God had initially set up. And because of that, um, if they did not repent, they were going to face consequences for these things. Continuing on in verse 12, it says, The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacle of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. Uh, what does cut off mean? Anybody? Any ideas? In some sense, it means to destroy, right? It means that God is, is going to destroy them for what they had done. Now, why was God writing to them? Because he was planning to destroy them or because he wanted them to repent? He wanted them to repent. And so again, we see a picture of the faithfulness of God, um, that, 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 God that they would come back to the way that God would have them to live, a, a way that God would have them to flourish. Um, and at this point, they were not living in that way. A, a low view of marriage would say, do what you want. A cultural view of marriage says, marry to fulfill yourself. But the biblical view of marriage is to marry in a way um, that honors God. And that's what God is getting at here. And so as Malachi is sharing his burden from the Lord, he's reminding them that God has a design and they do best when they walk in that design. Stepping away from the idea of marriage for a minute, uh, where could we say this practically applies in our lives um, in every other area but marriage? Where does walking in the design of God make our lives or cause our lives to flourish and blossom? In all areas, right? And so again, I, I don't just want to look 
narrowly and, and pinpointing one specific thing. That is what the text is addressing. But what did we say at the beginning? The root of the problem was, was their hearts. The root of the problems was, was that they had wandered away from where God wanted them to be. And so he's calling them back. He's calling them to repentance. And God says, if you don't repent, then I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to take the master and the scholar out of the tabernacle of Jacob and him uh, that, that offereth an offering unto the Lord. And so God is saying that, that an, on every level, people are going to face destruction if they don't come back and, and walk in my ways. And this was not to be vengeful, but... It, in, in order to get back at them, but it was to get them back to where he wanted them to be. Continuing in verse number 13, he says, And this have ye done again, covering the altar with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not uh, the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Now this verse is, is kind of a, a tipping point to, to help us understand that the heart of the issue was a heart issue. That they were going through the motions, religiously speaking, doing all the things that they were supposed to be doing, and then they're wondering why God isn't answering their prayers, why God isn't listening to them, why God isn't receiving their offerings with regard or taking them seriously in the things that they have done. And God says, because you're doing it in pretense. You're not doing it with a pureness of heart. You're not doing it uh, because you actually love me. You're just doing it because you're going through the motions. Uh, the crying on the altar could have been from, from two places. The women that they were divorcing and leaving behind were broken. Um, when you think of marriage, especially in the Old Testament, um, in Old Testament times, even in New Testament times, as we think about uh, the, the fact that the the first ones to report on the empty tomb were the women. Like, that's proof that the resurrection is real because the testimony of women was counted for nothing in Bible times. And so these women, they were dependent upon these men to provide for them. These men have said, we're just going to divorce you and go do our own thing. And they're weeping out in brokenness because the, their husbands in the covenant had, have left them. These men are in pretense crying out because God's not answering their prayers. And, and God is saying, I've had enough with you. From the women's side, the, the tears were genuine. From the, the man's side, again, they were in pretense because they didn't want to submit to God. And I think what this reminds us again of is this truth, that God is not blind to what is happening in our lives. Does God see your heart? Did God see their hearts in, in the way that they were coming to him? He absolutely did. And so as, as again, we think of this outside of, of marriage and what it's talking about here, um, any sin that we commit that we then repent of in pretense or continue to go through the motions of our Christian life, God sees all of that. He, he understands how close we are to him and how far away we are from him. And it's not based on the actions we perform. It's based on the position of our hearts before him as we come to worship. And so God was wanting them to know that if they did not repent, um, they, they were going to reap the benefits of this. Uh, the old saying is, we reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow, and we reap later than we sow. We reap what we sow. As they walked away from God, God was saying in some ways, I'm going to cut you off. Um, they, as, as they walked away from God and they would come back at their leisure when it was convenient for them, God says, I'm going to cut you off and you won't be able to come back. 
and I'm going to cut you off for forever if you don't repent and come back to me in the way that I want you to come. Now, one of the questions that I was asked this morning uh, as, as I was talking uh, to somebody after church was, why, why is there so many rules in the Bible? There's a lot of rules in the Bible, isn't there? Would you agree with that statement? Um, why is there so many rules? And I used uh, the illustration that I've used here before, that the rules are they're given to us so that we understand how to live within the boundaries that God has established. What happens when we don't abide by the rules and we do what is right in our own eyes? This happens, right? Malachi writes a letter that says, hey, you guys have wandered away, and we could pick any other letter in, in the Old Testament. We could pick any other prophecy and deal with multiple other sins. This is just the sin that Malachi had to deal with in this moment, but they're, basically what the prophets often say is, you've wandered away from God and God wants you to come back. You've stepped outside the parameters of where God wants you to, to live and do life and flourish. And because of that, there's going to be consequences that come upon you. Does God want us to serve him simply by checking off the list of rules? No. How does he want us to serve him? With a heart that loves him with a heart that is, is humbled before him. And so we can't just look at this and say, well, God's being petty, right? God's never petty. Never is God petty. We have to understand that. But he's pointing out their sins. Why? So they could get back to a life that was flourishing. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you had walked away from God for a season and you knew that your life was a mess? Anybody ever done that? We probably all have. And what is it that you yearn for that it's often hard to go back to because of our pride. We yearn for the, the spirit-driven life again, to walk in his blessings. And yet it's often our pride that keeps us from going back to that place. And that's the same thing was happening here. Their pride was keeping them from going back to the place that God wanted them to be. This is not the first time this is addressed. Uh, Ezra addresses the same issue. The whole idea of their offerings being given in pretense was already addressed in Malachi chapter 1. And so God's saying, I'm giving you opportunity. I'm, I'm revealing to you the, the error of your ways, the way that you have walked away from me. And you have to understand the reason that you're not back is not because I'm not willing to take you back. It's because you're not willing to come back in the way that you need to come back. It goes back to the story of Cain and Abel. When God said, sin is crouching at the door. You have an opportunity to make it right. And yet, he chose not to make it right. He continued in his own way um, and had a curse come upon him. And that's what was getting ready to take place here. All right, we have covered a lot, and I know this is, is kind of a weighty passage, and I pray that we would see it in its fullness and understand it uh, in its context, but also how it applies to our lives today. Any thoughts so far in verses 10 through 13? Loose. Absolutely. The same rules, if you will. Yep. <laughs> same guidelines. Uh, the law is not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, it's good to yeah. guide us in the right direction and to relate to God. Uh, James and Malachi. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> yep. And just put the rubber down and uh, be Jesus. You know, you got something against your brother, don't bring your gift. Mm. Okay? You go get something right with yep. your brother and then bring your gift. Yeah. 
absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Had that before, right? Yeah. It is. <laughs> There's a lot in here, for sure. Any other thoughts? I thought it might be a quiet night tonight. Annie. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. As I think through passages like this where um, subjects like this are addressed, where we often wonder, is God saying he's done with people based on decisions they've made? Uh, my mind always goes to the woman at the well, where, where Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, and um, Jesus says, go and get your husband. And what does she say? I don't have a husband. And she says, Jesus says, you're right. And the guy you're living with now is not even your husband. And the other men you were with before, you know, they weren't your husband. But was Jesus done with her? No. He changed her life, right? And so we can, we can often have a narrow-minded approach when it comes to sin that is not maybe a sin that we have had to deal with. Um, but God, God approaches all sin the same, and he's able to give grace in all sin. And I think... Again, that's what's being alluded to here, that God is drawing them back. He's not saying, I'm done with you. He says, I want to bring you back to myself, but you have to come on, on my terms. Anybody else? Any thoughts, Bruce? Just one thought uh, on the, uh, the daughter of the strange God. You read the passage on Moab, mm -hmm. not married somebody that was Moabite, and yet Ruth was Moabite. Right. But what was the difference? She didn't follow the gods of Moab. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and those both of those scenarios would fit with uh, the woman at the well, and they would fit if if you were here for our Christmas series as we talked through Matthew's genealogies, all the people in the genealogy of Christ that do not fit from a. a historically Christian perspective. And two of those women Bruce just mentioned, uh, and yet God was able to use them. And we have to think again, what Israel was chosen for? They were chosen to be a light to the rest of the nation. It wasn't that God was saying that I'm not going to ever save anybody out of another nation. It's that God was saying, I need a people, right? I need a people that are mine, that I can work through. That's why Abraham was chosen to, to be a testimony to the rest of the nations that there was one true God. Because how long did it take in the Old Testament times for this idea of gods with a little g to take off? Not very long. In fact, we could say that it's, it, it established itself 
in the Garden of Eden as they gave themselves to a lesser God by listening to what the serpent had to say over what God had to say. And so again, you know, it's this, this idea that the Israel was God's special people and never wanted to do anything with anybody else. Well, that's not true. God's desire was always to redeem for himself a people from every nation, tongue, tribe, and race. And that's the scene that we see in the end of the Bible in Revelation, where we're gathered around the throne uh, worshiping the, the true king. So good thoughts. Anybody else? All right. We are, we're going to have to cruise, but that's okay. We'll make it. In verse number 14, he says, Yet ye say, wherefore have we done all this? That the people's response, um, whether it was verbally or, or not, was this, that wherefore have we done all these things that you've accused us of? And Malachi's response to them from God was this, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Malachi is saying, you're denying that you've done this, but the Lord has been a witness to these things. Uh, And you can never refute when God says, I've seen what I've seen, right? They, they could never go back, well, that's not really what happened. Okay, God saw it with his eyes, so to speak, but what did he see beyond? He saw their hearts. He saw the position of their heart before God. And so they were trying to deny it. They were trying to play dumb. They were trying to pretend that these things didn't happen. And God says, I've seen these things. You've dealt treacherously with them. And this wife that you've divorced, she, she was thy companion, and she was the wife of your covenant, the wife of thy covenant. And the idea of a covenant in the Old Testament, even today, that's a big deal. And as I said, these guys were, were not being, getting divorced for, for reasons that God would permit as we read through the Bible. They were getting divorced for convenience sake. They wanted something different. They wanted someone else. And so they were casting aside the wife of their covenant uh, to, to run after another uh, woman from another nation. In verse number 15, it says, And uh, did not he make one, yet had the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. And so this is kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning. He made one. This is, is speaking to how God created humanity. And this one that he's speaking of is not just Adam, but he's speaking of the union of marriage, as I understand it, that they became one flesh. When they entered into that covenant, they became one flesh. The idea of the, the residue that, that God had more of the spirit, is, it's hard to understand. It's actually the trickiest phrase to understand in Malachi. So I'll probably get it wrong and teach it differently in 10 years when I teach through this again. But everything that I can gather is talking about this idea that as he, as he made Adam and Eve to be the head of all people, and this idea of the residue of the Spirit, it's alluding to this idea that God could have made many heads of many people groups, but he didn't. God didn't just, he didn't put all of his Spirit into one law. God had more Spirit that he could have made more hum, humans with, but he made one, Adam and Eve. And his purpose in doing this was what? That he might make a godly seed. That was God's desire, that the people that he created would walk in a way that would bring glory to his name. And and because they didn't do this, Malachi is now saying to them, therefore, take heed to your own spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of thy youth. What is Malachi saying? 
Take ownership for where you've gone wrong. This sin that you've committed is treacherous. It's an evil, wicked thing. And ultimately, it's against God. It's breaking the order that God had established. And, the, and God is calling them back um, to, to recognize the institution of marriage as God had set it up. There are many who say this was also an argument against polygamy. There, there are some who take this idea that it is speaking nationalistic, and it's, it's addressing the idea of Abraham, uh, with Abraham and Sarah being the ones that God would bring forth Christ through, but it's also at the same time uh, regarding or, or talking to the idea of Abraham and, and Hagar, how they, they went away from God's plan and did their own thing. I th- actually think that's a, a, a path that could be taken as well, but I, I wasn't convinced enough to present it as the truth tonight, so we're not going to go down that road. Um, it was also an argument against uh, rampant divorce and remarriage that God had made one. As we've said, is, is there reasons for divorce? Absolutely there are. There are reasons that God would allow for divorce to take place. Is that God's original plan? No, it's not. But there's a lot of things in the world that God's give, God gives grace towards that aren't working as his original plan. And so we have to have open eyes to see that. But this is a call for them to go back to the way that God had established things. Verse 15 is actually the hardest verse to, to interpret in the original language, and that's why I'm not spending much time on it. We'll come back to it another time. <laughs> Moving on to verse number 16, it says, For the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. This is another difficult verse. Um, but God, God basically says here that he hates the idea of the putting away, which would be the idea of divorce. And we know that their divorces were unjust because this phrase, for one covereth violence with his garment, it could be taken in many different ways, but in all the ways that it's alluded to is this idea that we're trying to cover up something that we've done. Um, this is how different versions would, would translate this. King James is covereth violence with his garment. Uh, another one is covereth his garment with violence. Um, another one is violence covereth his garment. Um, another one is iniquity shall cover his garment. And then some translations just left it out because they didn't know what to do with it. Um, but what's it getting at? It's, it's, it's talking about this idea of a sin that was committed. It's like if you went out and killed a, a sheep in a field and your hands got all bloody, what else is going to get bloodied? the clothes that you're wearing. And God is basically saying these men were sinning against the wives of their youth and they were trying to cover it up, but they couldn't cover it up because it was visible and evidenced even in in the way that they were seeking to hide it. And so God says, you need to come back to me. I see what you have done and you need to take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. The stain of sin is seen. God sees it, even if there's not a physical or or a literal stain there. Um, And God's saying, you need to abandon that, and you need to come back to me. I have seen everything, and yet I still want you back. And isn't that a beautiful thing, that God knows us fully, and that God still loves us fully? That God knows everything that we've done, and yet even in our sin, as God looks at us, he says, I know what you've done, but I still want you to come back because your mind. Verse 17, and then we'll uh, have some time to chime in, at least one minute, says this, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, where and have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or 
Where is the God of judgment? So basically, as it boils down in verse 17, uh, Malachi says, you're weary in God. And friend, let's just be clear that that's never a good place to be. We're, we're wearisome to God. Now, we understand that God loves us through his son, Jesus Christ, and there, in some sense, is a difference in the way that God interacted with Israel and in the way that he interacts with us. He sees us in a different way. He sees us through the, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. Um, but Malachi is saying here, you've wearied the Lord. You're, you're saying all the, the right things, but what you're saying is not matching what you're doing. You're bringing your sacrifices to the altar, and yet God is seeing that your hearts are so far from him. You're saying what the people want you to say, and yet your words are, are, are simply trying to cover up the things that you've done. And when Malachi says that, what's their response? Wherein have we wearied him? What have we done, right? We're the people of God. It's, like, it's literally like dealing with a three-year-old. What did I do wrong? I didn't know I wasn't supposed to color on the wall. You never told me that. And God says, you weary him with your words when you say that everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. What were they saying? It doesn't matter what you do. If, if, God, if it matters, where's the God of judgment? Do you remember um, what we just saw in Second Peter recently? If God's real, then why hasn't the judgment fall, fallen? If God actually cares about these things, why isn't he doing anything about them? He must not care or he doesn't exist. Well, he does care and he does exist. And this letter was proof to them that if they did not repent of their sins, that judgment was going to fall, that they were going to face some consequences for the things that they had done and they needed to repent and come back to him. So as we, as we wrap things up, this phrase of um, wherein have we done these things? Wherein have we wearied God? As, as we look at this text, we understand that it is it's speaking to a specific problem that the children of Israel were facing in their lives. But friend, I pray that we would take these words to heart in our lives as well. That as the Spirit speaks to us and we say, well, or the Spirit says, this is, this is the error of your way, that we wouldn't respond with, how have I done that? But that we would humbly bow before him and say, Spirit, you know all things, for you are God. And we humbly repent of the error of our way so that we can get back into the place where God would desire us to be. Again, I want to say as we close, this idea of divorce that, that Malachi is, is writing about in this passage was because they were, they were mistreating and misusing the idea of the covenant that God had established. They were taking advantage of other people for their own gain. Um, and honestly, if anybody had a right to divorce, it would have been the women to divorce the men because they were being so mistreated. And yet the men were, were using their power to say, we can do what we want because, because we're men. And what a sad state of affairs that was for these people. Does God still not like divorce? I, th I think that we can say he doesn't like divorce. But is there grace when divorce takes place for, for real reasons? There, there is. Is there grace for divorce when it's taken place and maybe the reason 
wasn't legitimate. There is. Why? Because our God is a God of grace. And anything can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can talk about divorce or any other sin. And whatever sin we're talking about, um, we understand that God's grace is great enough for all of those things. And if that's the case, then why wouldn't we run back to Him? When we sin, when we mess up, when we, when we step out of line, instead of running from Him like they were doing, excusing the things that we have done, why won't we just run back to Him? And the simple answer is the simple answer that they were dealing with as well. It was the, the position of their heart as it was lifted up in pride. Where have we done these things? Where and have we done these things? Instead of bowing before Him humbly, receiving His grace and understanding again that He is a faithful and loving God who desires for us to come back to Him. 702, anybody have any closing thoughts? <laughs> Bruce just zipped his lips, so I guess we'll close in a word of prayer. Uh, I hope this was helpful. I, I hope um, that the heart of the passage um, in some way connected with your heart as we think about just sin in general, um, because I think that's God's desire in this, um, that we would understand His faithfulness and His grace to us and His desire for us to come back to Him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening that we can gather. We thank you for your word. God, I do pray in passages like this that are, are difficult and pointed and, and even from an interpretive standpoint, God, where scholars disagree on who's being talked about where and what's being talked about when. God, I pray that we would still understand the heart of the passage is that you love these people. And even though they neglected your love and abused your love and misunderstood your love, God, you faithfully called them back to yourself time and time again. And whether it was the sin of divorce that we see here or the sin of, of bringing sacrifices that were not worthy or the sin of worshiping other gods or the sin of, of pride internally that nobody else could see, God, your desire is that we would repent of those things and that we would come back to you. And all of this is seen, God, because you are faithful and your mercies are everlasting. They're new every morning. God, I pray that we would not forget these things. I pray... Um, God, that as your spirit works in our hearts, that we would be responsive to him, that we would not delay repenting, turning back to you when he works in our hearts, but that we would, we would rush back to you, knowing that's where we'll find true grace and true mercy in our time of need. Pray that you give us a great night as we leave this place. I pray as we gear up for Easter, God, that our hearts would be moved with this idea of Jesus being the savior of the world and that we would tell somebody else about it. God, I pray that we take these cards this week and invite people to join us at our service so they can hear about the one who changed our lives. We thank you again for all you do for us. Be with us now as we leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.